the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want things the way they were. We need a new day. We need a fresh wind, a fresh fire to blow. And God is always in the business of doing new things. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. wondering if it all makes sense, if life is even worth living. I think you may go to one of the phrases of Jesus that is perhaps the boldest statement and the most exclusive claim in all of human history. You find this in John chapter 14, verse 6. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's our focus today as we continue our study of these seven I am statements of Jesus. We began with this one. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Think about what that means. He's saying that he is the source of everything good in our life. He sustains us when we need it in our life. And he is the one who can save us. He's the bread of life. Jesus would then say, I am the light of the world. As the light of the world, he's telling us that he forms us into his created purpose. He fills us so that we become all that he wants us to be. And then he makes the darkness flee from our lives. He is the light of the world. Jesus would then say, I am the door. I am the door. What does he mean by that? He gives us access to God. And giving us access to God, he also protects us. From the thief. Remember what he said in in John 10 10? The thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. He's the door. And then, of course, he's the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, he speaks to us personally because he knows our name and he saves us because he knows our nature. You see why it's so important that we begin to discover who God is? 
As we listen to these I am statements of Jesus, we hear who God is in his own words. And his words change us. Because I am changes who I am. The words we're going to hear today are uttered by Jesus during the last days of his earthly life. He's gathered with his disciples. Those you could say he knew the best and loved the most. They don't understand what's about to happen. So notice how he begins in John chapter 14. Look at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I want you to understand something today. Jesus knows when your heart is troubled. Just think about that. In this moment, the disciples should have been comforting him. And yet he was comforting them. Because that's the Jesus way. It's still the Jesus way for those of us that are seeking to be like Christ. We're to be others focused. We're to be focusing on their needs, not just our needs and certainly not our greeds. The words of Jesus are always comforting during our times of trouble. Notice how he comforts them. He tells them to believe. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, Jesus is saying that the antidote to your trouble is trust. That's still true today. Trust is always the antidote for trouble. That's why I love the verses I learned as a child. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Before we go any further, maybe you should just ask and answer that question today. Am I trusting God? In the midst of this season, the craziness that is Corona, (laughs) have I placed my anxiety into his hands? See, before we go any further, some of you need to recognize there are some things you need to take off of your shoulders and put onto his. You need to trust him. But Jesus continues in what has become one of the most familiar passages in all of the Bible. Notice how it goes on in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him. Or you do know him and have seen him. Let's pray together. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to come into this place today, wherever we have gathered, and we want to focus on you. So you've led us to a passage that may be one of the most familiar in all the Bible. And a single verse that may be one of the most controversial claims in all of Christianity. And you've led us here for such a time as this. For these are troubling days. These are days in which our future may seem uncertain. These are days that we have never walked before. So we certainly need to depend on you. You are still the way. You are still our truth. And and you are life. So we trust you. Even as we ask you to speak. Give us this day what we do not have. Teach us what we've not yet learned. So that you might make us into what we've not yet become. God, I pray that you would take all that's gone into this moment. The prayer, the study, the preparation and meditation. And that you would use this for your glory. That the words of my mouth and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you. And Heavenly Father. I ask that as we hold high the name of Jesus. As we lift up your son That you, Jesus, would draw all to you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for someone that is spending this time with us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, these I am statements of Jesus are teaching us who God is so that we can know who we are. So what does this passage say about who God is? The first thing. God is always full of promise. God is a promise-keeping God. That's who he is. That's what Jesus was talking about in these first words. In order to take their minds off of the presence, Jesus was pointing them to their future. And maybe that's what you need to do today. If you're overwhelmed and, and anxious in this moment, maybe you need to think for a few moments about what God has planned for you. Look again at verse 2 in the way that I learned this, the King James. It says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. What's God's promise? (laughs) It's that mansion on a hilltop. It's our heavenly home. I've been to some great big houses in this world. I've even visited castles and, and some of the palaces of kings and queens. But the Bible says that God is preparing a mansion for you. That's significant. This passage talks about a place. It talks about a real place. It talks about a real big place. And it talks about a real big place that's big enough for you. It reminds me of that song we used to sing called Big House. You remember the words? Come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room, a big, big table with lots and lots of food, a big, big yard where we can play football, a big, big house. It's my father's house. Now, this is important because there's coming a day when all of us will long for our father's house. 
It often happens when we're going through difficult times, like some of you are facing today. It happens in moments of despair, discouragement, and depression. That's why you might hear a Christian say, I would just soon go on to heaven. We're longing for home. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. It was just a few weeks ago I was visiting with my mother and I don't know how it came up, but she reminded me of that time when I was probably eight or nine years old when I made the wise decision to run away from home. So I gathered up a few of my belongings. I walked out the door, the side door of our house, and I began to descend down the hill to leave. I think when you run away from home, it's always a descent, by the way. But we lived out in the country, and there was a large hill leading out to another wooded area, and that's where I began to walk. I didn't get too far down the hill before I began to second guess what I was doing. I began to think about the decision I'd made. I, I, I thought about what I was getting myself into. And pretty quickly I decided, even with all of its problems, I, I think I'd rather go home. So I returned home. I've been blessed to do a lot of travel around the world. I've been to all kinds of places and stayed in nice hotels. But I can tell you, there's no place like home. There's no bed like my bed to give the comfort and the sleep and the rest that I desire. And for the child of God, there's no place like our home in heaven. That's why C.S. Lewis would say this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And so Jesus points them to the promise of heaven. But heaven's not the only promise for the Christ follower. Because God is always pointing us to a preferred future. You remember that Old Testament prophet Jeremiah who speaks to the children of Israel, a message specific to them, but a message that can be applied to us. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I want you to hear loud and clear today that God has a future for you. He has plans for you. Again, no matter how uncertain today may feel, you may have lost your job, your income may be unstable. You may even be physically ill, but the God of the universe who created you on purpose has a plan for you. He has a future. He's always pointing you forward. Don't miss this truth in these days. 
The temptation is when we're sitting in our homes, safe at home. When we're battling this new normal. We're tempted to say, when's it going to get back to normal? I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want things the way they were. In our nation, we don't need the church to go back to normal. We don't need a day in which hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches are closing their doors every week. We don't need churches that are half filled with people who are mellow in their faith. We need revival. We need a new day. We need a fresh wind, a fresh fire to blow. And God is always in the business of doing new things. What if? What if that's what God's doing right now? What if God is doing a new thing across his world? What if he really has, as someone said, sent us all to our rooms so that we can just sit and think about what we've done and come out better for it? What if he is trying to raise up the church for a new day, for a new work, for a new season? Oh, may God continue to point us to his preferred future. God is always full of promise. I would ask you today, are you resting in his promises? Are you standing on the promises of God? God is always full of promise, but there's a second truth I want you to get from this passage. God is always providing a pathway. God will make a way. I think it's Don Moen that wrote that little chorus that says it beautifully. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, God will make a way. God will make a way. God's always providing a pathway. So again, in a moment where I would just ask you to to stop and focus. Whatever you're dealing with right now, hear me say this. Based on the authority of Scripture, God will make a way. After Jesus talks about our heavenly home, Thomas opens his mouth and he inserts his foot. (laughs) How would you like to be Thomas? You only show up a few times in the Bible and you're not known for your greatest deeds You're known for your weakest moments. This is one of those. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus has just said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. (laughs) There's Thomas. Uh, Jesus, I, I still don't get it. What's the way? Ever feel like that? Maybe you do today. You, you sit in a church service or you, you've been in a Sunday school class or a Bible study and 
I'm thinking, I hear these people talking, and, and they seem to, to be amening, and, and they seem to understand, but I don't get it. That's Thomas. Even in the midst of this season, he, he didn't understand. So Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so again, we have that Greek construct that we've studied in this uh, study together. Ego, Amy, where it literally says, I, I am. The same God who reveals himself to Moses as the great I am, here to Thomas, says, I am. So think about the conversation. Thomas says, how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I, I am the way. Well, what if that's what needs to happen in your life today? You're looking to all these other things to try to make your way through. You're depending on your bank account. You're depending on your employer. You're holding out for the government. You're hoping that the medical community comes through. But what if Jesus is saying, I, I am the way. And so then, from this interaction, Christ's followers begin to be known from that day. As those who were in the way. The book of Acts tells us it's not until Antioch that Christians began to be known by that name. Up until then, they were known as those who were in the way. Because Christianity has always been exclusive. Psalm 16 describes it this way. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right, but it leads to death. You can understand the exclusivity of Christianity when you really look at the totality of the statement of Jesus here in verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, but I want you to think of how he's saying the rest of this verse. I believe it's like this. I am the way. Because I am the truth and because I am the life. Jesus continues the exclusive claims. Not only am I the way, I am the truth and I am the life. He's reminding us that we've always had a world full of fake news. But in a world of fake news, he is the truth. And so every person who lives has to decide whether or not we're going to live by these exclusive claims of Christ. Am I going to trust the character of Jesus? Am I going to trust the claims of Jesus? In John 17, Jesus would go on to say, Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. And you'll know the truth, he would say in John 8, 32. And the truth will set you free. He, he's telling us that you have to know and understand this truth to experience all that he wants us to experience. I think it was 1992 that Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson were in what became a classic movie called A Few Good Men. If you saw that, you remember an intense courtroom scene where Jack Nicholson is on the witness stand and Tom Cruise is the attorney that is trying him as a witness. And Tom Cruise, in a moment of passion, screams out at the character played by Jack Nicholson and he says, I want the truth. And as only Jack Nicholson could, he replies, 
you can't handle the truth. You know what I've discovered? We live in a world in which a lot of people can't handle the truth. Can you handle the truth? The Bible teaches us that that's why Jesus died on the cross. Romans 5, 8 puts it this way. Christ demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, God, Christ died for us. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he did something that we could never do. He met the need and took the penalty that exists because of our sin. That's the truth. He's the only way to be right with God. There is no other way. That's Christianity. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.